bonjour and hello. My name is Dusty Rhodes and you're very welcome to the Mimosa Matters Winning Against Cancer podcast, a short series where people around us or connected with Mimosa Matters share their stories. Today, we're speaking with Marianne, who has literally lived and worked across the world from her home in Norway, right across to Asia and eventually settling in the south of France. Her story involves things that we ignore every single day, like niggly little gut feelings and sunscreen. Marianne starts off by telling me what brought her to France. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, a bit of a, I guess, slightly bit of a, you know, on the whim as most people. We were, I was with my um, ex-husband, my then husband living in London. He started in the yachting industry and by chance somebody said we are planning to open an office in south of france and i said that's us so we just packed a few belongings and came here and it's been going pretty well you know since so uh, so it was a bit of a chance we've been living around the world we met in asia lived in asia for a while and then went back to europe and uh, ended up here and absolutely love it i absolutely love it so uh, best of all worlds so um, why, why do you say it's the best of all? Because for somebody who has travelled extensively and you, you've had, I mean, you've had mm-hmm. cold, <laughs> you've had the heat of Asia, you're, kind of, <laughs> you're here in the middle, you've had mm-hmm. the fantastic food of Asia, you've got everything that you grew up with in, in mm-hmm. Norway. Why do you say this here, France, is the best of all worlds? For me personally, I think the location is amazing. The climate is amazing. Because when you've had, you know, quite a lot of winters, And then for quite a few years, I was five years in Asia, a lot of summers where we're either hot or it was hot and raining and then it was hot again. Here you actually put on a jacket and as a Norwegian, I will drive for a couple of hours and I have ski and I have snow and I have all the beauty of that. And then I can drive down here and lunch on the beach. So, um, yes, and also having lived far away for quite a few years, here you feel close to home. You can jump on a flight and within three hours be back with family and, you know, and friends. And that is, I think, especially as you go older and you have kids, that is, a you know, an important part that you're not too far away. And how did you find uh, making friends when, when, when you arrived in France? Was it through the kids and the whole school network that you did it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, a couple of people we met by chance, which turned up to be my best friend down here. Um, and the rest was through, uh, at that point, it was Cornerstone in Valeris, which was the, you know, baby and toddler group. And so many people there are still amongst my very, very good friends. And after that, of course, through schools and networks and a lot of exercise and work you make more but I think my oldest friends who are still my you know some of my best friends are from uh, yes toddlers and baby and baby groups and what do you think it is that actually makes friends that connects you with people that makes you kind of go makes it sticky oh it is definitely whoever makes you laugh and whoever (laughs) shares your interest and whoever uh, will have your back and the people you find, I think also when you go through, you know, ch- kids changing schools and go to different places, you see who who ends up being the ones that in a very busy life you ending up managing to stay in contact with. Mm. So, uh, yes, I have a few very good, which I've been known for years and years now. And then uh, and then you have all of your acquaintances and, and, and you know, 
and other, other friends. So, uh, no, I've been very lucky. I have some very, very long-term good friends here. I always measure it by uh, there's something in my heart where when somebody asks me to do something I really don't want to do and I go, oh, but they're a mate. <laughs> that's, that's when I know, okay, you're, exactly. you're, you're a proper friend territory there. <laughs> you know? Of course, yes. the, the, the other thing, Marianne, uh, that everybody says about uh, the, the, the genius of, of living in France is the, is the health system here. And of course, you've had your own brush with it as well. Um, tell me about the, the period of time that was leading up to your diagnosis with, with cancer. How did it happen? Well, I have to kind of just say one thing first. When Mimosa very kindly, you know, very uh, sweetly approached me to do this podcast, I said, no, no, I'm not your person because I kind of didn't go through cancer as a lot of other people who've had, you know, serious diagnosis and, and very, you know, harsh treatments. For me, the cancer was, you know, it was a cancerinome. It was a skin cancer. It was not um, a melanoma. It was not, you know, a, um, a very, uh, what can you say, serious ones. For me, it was mm. more the consequences, the fact that it wasn't caught in time. It ended up being a very, I would think, a quite a big operation, which basically was, you know, all over my face. So for me, it was more, as I say, I think a lot of cancers is kind of like an internal thing and you go through a lot of hardship. I didn't do that. For me, it was very much out there. I ended up having, you know, three operations over three years, uh, 48 stitches all around my face. But the actual cancer itself was never very, very dangerous as such. So when they proposed me, I said, no, I can't do that. I'm not the right person for this podcast because I've, you know, you feel a little bit like a kind of a fraud because you haven't gone through, you know, all the chemotherapy and the radiotherapy that a lot of other mm. people have done. And then they said to me, no, but it's because it is a slight different story and a, and a very common story. And for me, the fact was that it wasn't picked up and it went longer and it took a long time. And therefore a very small thing became a very big thing. And this is it. And from listening to lots of the stories on this podcast, I, I wouldn't say mm. that it's funny that you talk about how serious it is or how light it is. I would think that possibly your story is one of the mm. most serious because you're talking about your whole face nearly had to come off the, the way you're describing it. Tell us more detail in, in, in a few minutes. But it, but the thing that everybody has in common <laughs> is that at some stage you're facing a guy in a white coat and he's going, I've got some news and it ain't good. And mm. it's like, and everybody kind of gets to that point. And yeah. it's like, uh, and it, it's nice looking back at it in hindsight and kind of, but on the day, did you feel that positive? Did you brush it off as lightly? Or when the doctor gave you a diagnosis, did you go, whoops? Of course you do. I mean, it's that word, isn't it? The C word, you know, as soon as somebody says that, you kind of go, what is, what is that? But then immediately said, oh, it's only a cancer gnome. It's local. It's not dangerous. It can be very easily fixed. Um, small operation, and um, because he had basically removed this thing on my nose for more or less four years each year, and in the end I said, are you sure this is not something méchant? And he went, oh, well, maybe we, you know, we did a biopsy. I said, no, we never did. And then I think uh, he obviously panicked, and he referred me to, luckily, a very, very good surgeon. Um, at that moment, when I went to see him, thinking that this was, you know, going to be easy, it's going to be fine, and he explained the procedure, that's kind of when it hit me with a bit of a hammer in the head, basically. Um, 
I'm very that's sorry, fun. that's my doorbell, but I will leave that up to my kids. Um, because make it, well, it was just a tiny little pore on the tip of my nose that kind of never healed. You know, typically one of those, it wasn't a mole, it wasn't anything. And four years running, one, you know, once every four, you know, once a year for four years, I went and they said, no, it's nothing. They just lasered it away. And in the end, I said, but this is getting a little bit bigger. It would couple of millimeters maybe then it almost closed and it opened again and then uh, at that point he had become one and a half centimeters underneath the skin so it was basically the entire tip of my nose uh, so then the procedure to remove that was um, the first one he came with was saying that basically I needed to do skin transfers I had to prepare the skin take the skin from my forehead um, uh, do well, basically it was three operations with six weeks apart and then have that piece of skin attached to my nose while it was still um, basically hanging, you know, live from my forehead to the tip of my nose. So basically, like he said in very French, uh, you will walk around um, uh, with a raw piece of meat in your face. So I think that was a point where I kind of broke down. <laughs> What I'm trying to think of is what was going through your head when, when you broke down? Because that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. So you're there and you're in your state. What are you thinking? I'm just thinking, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> it's not happening. Uh, I don't want to do this. I, or just You just can't believe it, can you? But you think this was just a tiny little thing. And now I'm going to have, you know, operations and I'm going to walk around with a string of meat between my eyebrow and my nose for six weeks while you run around doing your school runs and your things and, you, and, you, and you're just thinking, no, I just, I just, yeah, don't want to do it. And I remember very well, I, he had like a stack of compressors next to him. And I think I used the entire stack. I just sat there basically. I mean, he was very sweet, very no nonsense. Um, and um, I, of course, went and got a second opinion. He did the whole, you know, di you know, diagram. He drew out everything and he said, basically, this is the best operation to end up in the future having, um, the, you know, the least visible result. Uh, and I went to another um, quite recognized uh, dermatologist in, or surgeon in uh, Cannes who confirmed that that was the right thing. And then I went back to this guy. He was up in EUFC, Institute uh, Université Fasicou, up in Nice Est. And um, yes, we kind of agreed to start uh, to do it, you know, just after Christmas so that I could basically have Christmas without. But it was, um, uh, I don't think I stopped crying for a good 48 hours or something like that. It was just kind of the thought of having all of these things yeah, well, basically walking around with a string of meat in my <laughs> raw, raw skin in my face. Um, Can I just face. clarify then that the idea when you say with the string of meat was that literally they were going to attach skin of your forehead to the skin on the front of your nose, but the idea being is that it would grow. Exactly. It has to be kind of still alive. So basically the first operation he would have removed... Um, the kind of skin on the tip of the nose, take a temporary mm. graft from somewhere mm. else. Why they prep the skin, they put a little like um, 
It's, I mean, it's amazing the things they can do. It's absolutely incredible when you think about it. Well, they put something under your skin, kind of above your eyebrow, up to the temple. Because when you do skin grass in the face, you have to use skin from the face. From the if face. not, it will have a different color. Yeah, you have to use it from the face. Because as soon as you take it from another place of the body, you will basically, yeah, it will be a different color. It will never have the same color. Because the... So that would be, and then the second operation would then kind of like to loosen this bit and attach that to the nose, but it still would have to be attached to kind of between your eyebrows so that the skin would kind of still be alive. And okay. it would be that for six weeks. And then you could kind of snip that bit off. Was there any danger to you mortally? No. No. I mean, if I'd never done anything like that, I could maybe have kind of a bit of a rotten tip of my nose. <laughs> but no, there was never any, uh, any danger as such okay, for it to, um, you know, to spread. Okay. Yeah. So how was it then when you went back home then mm. to, to the family and you had to explain through lots of sobs, I can imagine, because you were still crying for 48 hours, uh, what the doctor had explained to you? How did they take it? <laughs> Well, just the fact that I managed to drive home was quite an feat in itself, I think. Uh, but um, I'm not quite, I can't remember if I explained it the first day. Always I explained it to my, to my husband at the, at the time, you know, um, about it. I can't remember if I told the kids or if I waited till the next day. Uh, to be completely honest as well, I also called my GP and she described me um, uh, some Valium to take occasionally, just in case, just to be able to not, you know, um, yeah, just to kind of not have, go into like a panic. Um, and it took, you know, it took a few weeks um, talking to good friends um, to get to terms with it. Um, but then in the end, when I ended up having an operation, he did something completely different. <laughs> he, did, he went for a complete different approach to the operation. So I went in to have the operation and woke up with something completely different happened, which maybe after wasn't, uh, I think it's kind of done giving me more scars as such, but as an immediate thing was probably better. Because um, there was something they call, I think the Munchausen approach or something where they basically kind of open up um, between the eyebrows, around the nose. It's like kind of like, almost like a J along the nose and across and they basically twist the whole skin around to kind of like um, cover up for what they've taken away, um, which made it very difficult to laugh for a very long time. Because <laughs> each time I laughed, um, <laughs> it stretched so badly. It was so painful. I remember so well sitting watching, was it eight out of 10 cats doing countdown, which is one of my, you know, and it was something hilarious coming up. And I had to run out of the room because I was in agony thinking I was going to rip my skin open because we were laughing so hard. It's me and my son. So, <laughs> so um, yes, so I kind of <laughs> woke up and they came in and explained that they had been able to do this um, instead. And I mm. was happy with that. And it was basically 48 stitches from between the eyebrows all along the side of the nose, across the nose. And um, yes. So tell me, how did you find the French health system to deal with as you were going through this? Well, I must admit, I have had quite a few, uh, both of me and my children, a few um, 
you know, um, times where we had to deal with it properly. And I think they are amazing. I mean, when you're there and then, I mean, everything is very efficient. Everything is very, um, you know, correct. Everything is covered. I mean, it's, for me, the most amazing thing was afterwards, because I think, you know, I, I mean, literally in the beginning, it looked like a dog had bit off my nose and they stitched it back on. It was not a very pretty sight. I mean, they complete, constantly reassured me. But one thing he said to me, I remember on the first meeting, he said that whatever happened, we will continue to working with you until you will be as you were before. And he kind of promised me that. And um, I had in total three operations over three years where they basically just went in and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked. And I think on cases like this, the franchisees are very concerned about your um, basically psychological well-being afterwards because you could so easily have said well that's it the cancer's gone you're fine and your nose nose will be a bit crooked and you you know or look a bit but you know we've done our bit and the rest will be on you maybe privately to to look after but he went in and I mean literally to the last bit when they came in now and that was that was last that was this I mean they kept on having me in for four years because obviously it's not completely symmetrical and they, you know, giving me tiny bits of filler and botox just around the, you know, what they call the bunny lines on the nose, just to try and even out the symmetry for me to feel good about myself. And I think that is absolutely incredible. And I really don't know any other country who does that, you know, free of charge um, with amazing, amazing surgeons looking after you. And how do you feel about yourself now? How how do you feel with your your face? Are you back to normal? Oh, you know what? It's really not that bad. I mean, it's a it's a couple of things. Of course, I mean, I I can I can still see a, you know quite a big scar coming across one of my nostrils. I mean, the big you know the main scar you can hardly even see. It's it's quite amazing. Um, I mean, there is it's not a hundred percent, but you know, it's ninety five, and I'm very pleased. I don't think about it. It doesn't really bother me. Um, and like they say, you know, it still will, you know, get better and better and better, you know, because it just takes a long time to heal. I mean, the last operation was only, I think now about a year ago, a year and a half ago for the last operation I went in and did. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, I am extremely impressed and pleased with, you know, everything they did and how much they, you know, bothered to actually think about what I was going to look like after. (laughs) You have explained everything very well for the process and your journey. But what I don't know is what caused it? Mm. What caused this annoying little spot at the end of your nose that became so troublesome? You know what? I don't know. And I asked them. Uh, because, you know, I've, I lived, I worked as a diving instructor in Asia. I was, you know, a lot in the sun. I mean, I am a Norwegian. <laughs> Our generation, we didn't really use sun cream. <laughs> we kind of rather used, like, what was it, peanut butter, you know, peanut oil. And we were trying, especially Norwegians, to desperately get a bit of a tan. Uh, but like they say, it's completely individual. I mean, I could have been sitting next to somebody who had done exactly the same thing and they wouldn't have got it. It's just, you know, bad luck. Uh, but obviously, you know, it could have been, you know, the fact is that I have been, you know, sitting in on diving boats for days at the time out in the, in the scorching sun, not being very careful, could maybe have been, you know, factors to, to have um, helped, you know, developing the cancer gnome. 
How has this experience changed you? Well, obviously, I use sun cream every day. <laughs> I do not leave the house without sun cream <laughs> in my face. Um, uh, I am much more careful. You know, I will never kind of, you know, just lie in the sun and sunbake. I mean, I will be in the sun and swim and mm. then I'll be underneath the umbrella. But I will have 30 on my face in the winter and 50 on my face in the in the summer. Um, obviously, my children are, you know, being harassed about putting cream on all the time. Um, and not the least, I go for checkups annually, regularly. And I think if I ever were to have, you know, any kind of thing like that, I will not accept, you know, them kind of brushing it off. I would maybe insist on having biopsies or insist on, um, you know, because when this happened at each year, I'm kind of like, but this is really weird, you know, and they're like, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's nothing. It's just a little uh, cyst. It's a little this. It's a little that. And, you know, and then I said, but really, are you sure? And I think if you do have some kind of gut feeling that something might be wrong, uh, you should listen to it and never kind of be afraid of, you know, maybe taking a second opinion or go somewhere else. I like it. If you have a good feeling, follow it. Marianne, thanks for sharing your story with mm. us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Our story today is brought to you by Mimosa Matters, the association of people from all over Europe who have chosen to base themselves on the French Riviera and are giving back to the local community which has embraced them. Find out more about the association and its work to fight cancer in the south of France at their website, mimosamatters.org. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening and stay safe. <laughs>